Looney Tunes cartoons and Space Jam A New Legacy have been nominated for Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. And Will Forte and Lana Condor have been cast in the new Coyote vs. Acme movie. So, of course, you realize this means podcast. Are you ready, eager young space cadet? <laughs> Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. Today is a special day because I have on someone who's actually worked with Bugs Bunny, Tweety, Daffy, and all the rest. I present to you animation director and animation supervisor on Looney Tunes cartoons, Joey Caps. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here, John. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you. It's great to have the conversation with you, get some behind the scenes of what's going on with the world of Looney Tunes in this new era of animation and talk about all the projects you've been a part of, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was actually looking back today. I'm like, wow, it's uh, it's been a crazy ride so far. You know? <laughs> but I'm so thankful it's kind of just led me right to where I am. I couldn't be happier to be doing this right now. I couldn't be happier to have you like in this in this area of the field and have you someone with such reverence for animation to be at the forefront of leading the new you know Looney Tune charge if you will uh it, on HBO Max and for kids today and adults that love the classic vintage cartoons but also want to you know have that sense of joy while watching these characters I mean there's so much love that's given to the classic characters and everyone takes it seriously. Like it's, it's a really great time to be a Looney Tunes fan. Yeah. It means so much to everybody watching and to everyone, you know, making it, you know, that's where it's like, you know, growing up, I was actually just talking to someone today and we were talking about, you know, the Looney Tunes and he was like, you know, my dad just, you know, plopped me down in front of the TV and watched Looney Tunes together. And it was just like a, a great thing that we did on Saturday mornings together. And then he was like, you know, I, I realized that he probably did this with his dad. You know, it's just such a generational thing. And it's like so yeah. important to everybody, you know, with uh, the way that the world's going. It's always nice to just uh, escape into something familiar and, and, you know, just something wholesome and fun. You know, it's uh... no better escape than falling anvils and wacky antics oh, <laughs> on yeah. rabbits and ducks alike. <laughs> it's so um, comforting. <laughs> so what, what, I want to talk about with you, I want to get into your career, like what led you to Looney Tunes and all of that. But first, we got to cover some news. The big casting announcement of the week. I love how these casting announcements fall on what the internet has deemed Wiley Wednesday. Uh, there's oh, wow. a hashtag that goes around every Wednesday and <laughs> everyone posts their favorite Wiley Coyote image. And I love that we're getting casting for the new Coyote versus Acme movie on these Wiley Wednesdays. So this week we had Will Forte from MacGruber and a, a bevy of comedy join the cast of this wonderful movie. 
I, th- I think that has a lot of potential as well as Lana Condor, who has really been making a wave in the teen romance genre. And you know, there aren't a whole lot of rom-coms out there these days, but I would say that if you want to find one, um, to all the boys I loved, that series on Netflix is really heartwarming and really fun. And she oh, does nice. a really good job in the lead role of that. So I cannot wait to see her do a more comedic turn. I think that this is a really great role for her. What did you think about this casting? Oh, awesome. Like When I heard uh, Will Forte, I was, so I'm just such a McGruber fan. <laughs> and I'm just like a, such a Lonely Island, like Jorma Tacone fan. Like yeah. when I heard this, I was like, oh God, thank you. This is going to be great. <laughs> I love how they're getting actual like living cartoons to play these characters. You just stole the words out of my mouth. I was like, this, he could not be more suited for this role. Like it's going to be, I think it's going to be fantastic. I can't, I can't wait. I have full faith in the team over there. James Gunn is producing and Dave Green, uh, who directed TMNT out of the shadows is directing. And he's already like done a couple of movies that have like a Saturday morning feel to them. Yeah. So, you know, him doing a cartoon movie, live, live action animation, I think is right up his alley. Yeah, this. like every everything he's done up until this point is just like another stepping stone to this. I, I think it's, I think it's a like a great meeting point. I'm I'm super excited. Yeah, no, me too. I what what else is there to say? I mean, they're doing a great job over there. This casting has us excited, and you know whatever realm that Will Forte is going to bring to you know th- this <laughs> this lawyer role, he's going to be the one providing a voice for a silent cartoon. Like it's, Wiley Coyote yes. is a character that doesn't speak usually. He's got a lot to carry. Exactly, exactly. So I, I'm glad it's falling on his shoulders. Another funny thing that happened though is when this was announced, I put out a poll on my Instagram, uh, which you can follow at This Means Podcast, to see if audiences want Wiley Coyote to talk or not. And the results were... I don't know if you want to say shocking or not, but it was. I was a, shocked. Yeah. It was a dead split, 50 50. That's crazy. I mean, I would. I was personally in the column of uh, he shouldn't speak. That's just my personal opinion. But uh, I mean, now that we have Will Forte in the mix, like I'm even more in my camp. I think. I think he's totally gonna. If we needed a you know a loud, cartoony, boisterous voice in there, like anytime Will Forte speaks, I just can't help but laugh. I don't know how anyone works with him without bursting out laughing. He's just so funny. He's just got such a great sense of timing and, and tonation in his voice. Like it, uh, I, I think it'd be perfect if he didn't speak, but that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> no, absolutely. And he's also done some really great work with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, he, he voiced Abraham Lincoln in the Lego movie. <laughs> that's right. And he also was recently in after party uh, along with doing the entire series, um, which I feel like got cut a little short, but Last Man on Earth, he had a star uh, starring role in that. And, right. you know, his comedy chops, again, never fail. And he couldn't be, you know, in, in a better place with this. And the team behind it, I feel like, has such reverence for this material. I, I really can't wait to, to, uh, to see this in theaters. I know. I, I just feel like everyone... Like audiences want to see something like this. I mean, I know I do. So I think like every project that you see out there in the ether, like uh, the Rescue Rangers, like, you know, I think we're as fans, we're just getting like, uh, I think you put it good once an embarrassment of riches, like we're just like, just so uh, saturated with all this great content. And I think like each one is a stepping stone. I can't, I can't wait to see what they do with this. It's going to be awesome. Same. I can't wait to see who they bring on as a character witness. Yeah. 
<laughs> like, uh, like, yeah, are, are they going to go down the road of like a SNL, uh, you know, who's who with, with uh, pair up, or are we going to go full Tim and Eric realm? Like, yeah, <laughs> there's, so there's, many, there's many different ways we can go here. Yeah. yeah um, so, great, I this is phenomenal news, and the film is set to release on July twenty first, twenty twenty three, and I that date can't get here soon enough. I believe the film is set to start produ- production next month. So. We shall wait and see what other announcements come out from that. But, you know, uh, I'm going to be covering all of that. So if you're ever, you know, in the in the dark about something Coyote versus Acme, you know where to check for the latest and greatest. And speaking of an embarrassment of riches, we had two nominations come out for two of those projects that allowed us more content with these characters one of which you're involved with this is looney tunes cartoons and space jam a new legacy getting nominated for nickelodeon's kid choice awards and i've already voted i don't know if you voted yet but <laughs> i put my vote in for looney tunes cartoons and uh and space jam god bless you there you go <laughs> <laughs> i guess that would be a biased vote but i guess i can vote right it's open to everybody so yeah there you go. <laughs> i'm gonna get in there so uh, Looney Tunes Cartoons has been nominated for Best Animated Show Series right now. And that is a big deal because having the nomination be at the forefront of a kid's show, I think, is important to not only get the word out that these cartoons are making a big splash over on HBO Max, but also, you know, like the way that the the characters are treated and the way that they've been brought into the modern context, I feel like is such a, a kudos to the whole team and like everybody is doing such phenomenal work over there. I'm so happy the nomination went out to you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, to, uh, to be fair, I'm just like, you know, saying I'm raising a 14 month old. So like when I'm not at work, I, my head is there. So I didn't even know what happened, but it was just such, I mean, that's so awesome. And uh, it's just, it's just great. We, we've been getting such good reception. We just feel like people are really enjoying what we're doing. So that's a reward in itself. And just to have this now to hear about this is just like icing on the cake. It's so great. But but like around animation, are there many, uh, you know, notable sources for, for you to get a good gauge on what audiences are thinking like with your show? I think this is like one of the best ones because like yeah, this I, is your demographic. This is going to come back and be like, okay, yeah, people are liking it. People are enjoying it. And, they want more. Yeah, I I think that was one of the biggest things is that they wanted to get uh, kids familiar again with the Looney Tunes. You know, just making sure that these characters were carried on. But that's just such great news, and it's just a testament to like how hard you know Pete and Alex and the whole the whole crew have just been like really just trying to make enjoyable content they want to love something like they want to watch it you know they want to make something that they watch and it's just everyone just trying to outdo each other make each other laugh and i think it's really showing through the work kudos to all the work that's being done by the whole team over there pete brown guard and sam register and everyone's eating their carrots over there so it shows (laughs) (laughs) we have a vending machine full of carrots you know it's like i would expect nothing less yeah They cost a bit, but, you know, <laughs> we don't get them for free. So congratulations on the nomination and to the whole team. This yeah. is really exciting, and I'll definitely be watching to see how they do. Hopefully they win it. Yeah, fingers crossed. That'd be cool. 
And the other nomination went out for Best Kids Movie, and that's uh, Space Jam A New Legacy. It has some stiff competition, but, you know, Spider-Man is in there. (laughs) But we'll see. We'll see how that that one turns uh... out, too. Yeah, that was pretty dope. So. <laughs> but hey, good content all around. That's like, that's all that matters. So we're, we're like you said, we're winning Like as audience members. Absolutely. Just, you know, regardless of how good or bad the movie is, seeing Bugs Bunny and the whole franchise just on screen to me is reward enough for being a fan. And I thought that the animation, especially done by the Warner Animation Group over there, like they really did a good job of bringing out the best in the characters. I thought the, the character work was great. Yeah. It's um, and you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause like we were talking about before when I was coming up um, you know, the, everything, there was a big push for computer animation and uh, everyone say, get out of 2d animation, you know uh, to make like a basketball analogy, if you wanted to play with Michael Jordan uh, you know, me growing up, I was like literally the target audience. I love Michael Jordan and I love cartoons. So I was just like the the target audience. Yeah. And, you know, if I was growing up, oh, I want to I would love to play basketball with my hero. Unfortunately, they retire. You know, they they, they don't play basketball anymore. Um, but for animation, like these superstars are still out here and they're still working. And now they're they're getting to contribute to the to the property again. And they're just like doing such great work like all these, all these like, you know, feature animators that are getting to do uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy. Like it was, it was just so great to see so many people come together from so many different areas. And that's a whole other aspect of it now with like, you know, people working from, from everywhere. The team that was assembled for the show was just like incredible. And everyone just like got to, like you said, got to fire on all cylinders. Like it was, it was a joy to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know a lot of people that took away the animation segments as their favorite moments Mm -hmm. and for good reason. Like there's a lot of legacy animators behind those scenes and it shows for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was so I'm constantly in awe. Like, um, like you were saying, it was WAG, it was Warner Animation Group. So we were, uh, we're obviously separate from that. So I didn't know exactly what was going on. Like we knew it was happening obviously, but we didn't know you know, what was going on over there. And just like, I got to just sort of enjoy it. I, we were doing our thing over here and then it came out and I got to enjoy it like completely fresh. And it was, it was amazing. Just, uh, and all that stuff. Just so amazing. To diverge a little bit, you did work on a basketball bugs short for Looney Tunes cartoons, right? That one, honestly, I was I was a board artist on Teen Titans Go. I, I had been working on Teen Titans Go for a while, and you know, back in the day when they first started uh, Looney Tunes, that was one of the first shorts that they were working on. And I remember seeing the animatic for it, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe they're doing it!" Like it was just so classic, but also modern. Uh, you know, they were they had early on they had Johnny Ryan involved with the writing. And okay. Pete and David Gemmel, they were all just like really just setting the tone for where this was going to be going. And I just I remember seeing the automatic for that. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I need to be involved with the show. How do I get involved with the show? It was awesome. The animation in that is so lush. The movements are incredibly fluid. And the, the character design really stands out to me as, you know, taking something retro and making it modern, but keeping the essence of what Bugs Bunny is 
uh, within those images. It, it was it was really incredible, like tone setter for me. Yeah, and then you know when when you get drawings from someone like Jim Soper, it's just oh boy, I really need to get way better than I am right now because I do not want to be dragging this thing down. Not at all, and and I don't think you dragged down any part of that or any any animated short I've seen in the in the franchise. Um, but that short also had Eric Bowser doing the Bugs Bunny yelling which mm-hmm. we hadn't seen since the vintage ones. And, you know, he, he goes up close to the the antagonist, the big bully on the court, and he goes confidentially. And then he yells, I'm winning. Yeah. <laughs> and like, just the timing of that is hilarious, but also, you know, what Bowser puts into it to bring out that, uh, that personality aspect of Bugs Bunny. We haven't seen in so long. Like, was that a part of the whole storyboard process too? Like bringing the yelling back? Well, I know that, uh, well, from what I've, I've heard Eric say previously, it seems like that was, he did his homework heavily. Like he had a perspective on the character that he wanted to, you know, achieve. And like, that was, I I think that was more of his, like, you know, he wants to bring back like uh, the very, uh, you know, manic, very unpredictable, you know, like vocally um, the the tone of, of bugs. That was something that he really, uh went after i i mean i wouldn't be able to say because that short was like before my time when they when they boarded that but i think once eric established like oh this is the direction i'm going i'm sure it was factored in later on for sure awesome awesome yeah and eric eric is a fan of the podcast and he's great and he also voices another legacy character in this uh tweety bird who is celebrating his 80th anniversary of being a cartoon character <laughs> and crazy? Warner media has just launched a hashtag Tweety 80 campaign to celebrate Tweety. So if you have any fan art of Tweety to be posted online, now is the time to do it or now is the time to draw some uh, with the hashtag Tweety 80 to get it seen. They are coming out with murals across the world, consumer product tie-ins and experiences with all the Looney Tunes characters, but mainly featuring everyone's favorite yellow canary, Tweety. And yeah, it's been 80 years since uh, A Tale of Two Kitties, uh, the Bob Clampett short came out introducing Tweety Bird. That's my favorite one too. That's amazing. I'm so glad he's been around for 80 years and I just... I'm looking forward to what they do to celebrate this character. So as things launch, I'll be covering more and more of those uh, pop-ups. So we will have to see, but right now we have a look at four different murals that are already up and just the artwork is phenomenal. It's just like a, a love letter to this character and Tweety and Bugs are my two favorite Looney Tunes. And to see them both have a really big push for their 80th anniversary campaigns, that excites me. And I hope that this leads to uh, more shorts being released on Blu-ray as they did with Bugs Bunny, as well as what your team is working on and getting more shorts on uh, Looney Tunes cartoons for us to enjoy. Yeah, there's definitely more coming. Absolutely. We have uh, a lot of footage still yet to come out, and some of my favorites haven't even come out yet. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely good uh, good stuff coming down the pipeline. That's a good tease, sir. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> it, it's a good tease, and it's also true. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it. just like it. all the way up, uh, all the way down the line. They're just some really, really great. And super classic ones coming out that I just, I can't wait for everyone to see. 
Oh, I can't wait for I can't wait for myself to see them so I can talk about them on the show. Yeah. Um, what is it about Tweety and his adversarial relationship with Sylvester that is so endearing over the years? And like, like what what was the I guess the goal of Looney Tunes cartoons and bringing that to a modern audience? Because you guys go really dark with it. Well, I think that speaks more to to the director's perspectives. Like each one of them has just such a funny uh, sensibility about them. They're all very particular in their own way. But I, I mean, I guess in general, it's just, you know, he's he's so small. Like, you know, he just completely in a normal setting, he's completely, you know, out of his depth. But, you know, he, uh, he'll always turn, it, uh, turn the tides on. on so yeah. It's so. so. Everybody roots for a little guy, right? Especially like a little wiseacre. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and it's a formula that never gets old. Just the same as Wiley e. Coyote's formula or Elmer versus Bugs Bunny. Like those are tried and true formulas. And the Sylvester Tweedy one may be, may be the most classic out of that because everyone can relate, again, as you're saying, to the little guy. And especially the little guy who has baby talk. <laughs> oh yeah but that never fails to get an audience uh, audiences and dear men as well right exactly exactly so we've had so far four murals i'm gonna go through them real quick you can find them on the blog this means podcast over on the podbean website uh, i will also post these up on my social media uh first we had kate deller who is a artist in Austin, Texas, uh, present their art on one of the walls over there uh, with fellow artist and her wife, uh, Julia Dufose. And then we had Monyi Chow. They are a queer Taiwanese Chinese American artist and illustrator based in Seattle. And you can get all of the locations on their social medias, which I will post at the very end of this. And in Mexico City, we had Raul Urias. Uh, he's a visual artist and illustrator. His might be my favorite. I'm not sure. All of these are really great. Uh, I just love how they incorporated Sylvester in the design of Tweety. And they also have Bugs Bunny on Tweety's foot, which you never see Bugs and Tweety together outside of the Looney Tune Tweety show and when uh, Tweety lands on Bugs's hand. So anytime those two characters are presented together, it just warms my heart. And last, we had Alan Barry Reese, an illustrator and graphic artist designer um, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, come up with a little Tweety Bird who is uh, swinging in his little cage swing and thinking about Granny uh, with uh, the words Tweety spelled out. And, you know, there's references to uh, bird seed, the Wiley Coyote bird seed, and a couple carrots in there. And it's just, oh, it's it's just warms my heart to see the love for this character come out in spades across the world and what warner media is doing to celebrate this character i think is right and you know by releasing more art it just imprints it back onto either children or adults who grew up with these characters and it just it, it's fun to see yeah more tweety come on <laughs> this is great and with that, that will conclude the news portion of the podcast. So let's talk about you, Joey, and uh, how you got to the world of Looney Tunes. Well, it was uh, 
it was sort of a like an indirect route, but um, you know, I was working on Teen Titans Go. I was a storyboard artist on the show for a little while, and I got to work on the movie, which was a really great experience. That was really fun, fun movie. Yeah, it was like, and that was just you know, again, something I never thought you know be participating in a feature film that was you know 2d is pretty cool Th- that show has such a unique style to it absolutely were you able to inject some of your own ideas into that style and, and help those you know creatives like bring their characters to life or was it more everything was already established and you just like helped get them there well you know for me uh nothing is more intimidating than the blank page uh with animation you're usually getting handed you know these beautiful storyboards from storyboard artists who are phenomenal animators. So like posing is so already worked out and the the ideas and the shots are all worked out. But when you're a board artist and you're just given a script and it's just a blank page, it's, that could be overwhelming and it certainly is for me. So um, where I sort of kind of really sunk my teeth into would be if I, if we were handed a song Uh, in particular, one of the first songs I ever dealt with was a song called uh, shrimps and prime rib. Uh, Beast Boy sings this <laughs> song about shrimps and prime rib. And for some reason, when when I'm handed music, I can see the images in my mind like uh, way faster than okay. if I'm just uh, working on like a, you know, a straight dialogue scene or something. I don't know. Some some of the music just kind of hits me a little faster and it just it just poured out of me. And for some reason, I, I felt like I was a little more adept to, uh, you know, boarding out some music sequences, which was cool. And I got to do a few on that show. And that's kind of really where I feel like I started making better strides in, in boarding. Nice. Yeah. And music is a big part of Looney Tunes as well. So I can see that connection working for you and in your favor and getting that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, to me, it's like that, that other character, you know, it's such a, you know, a cartoon could be a cartoon, but then as soon as you put music to it, it's like, Oh, goodness now it's real <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and uh you know i just heard rumblings of uh you know that oh they're gonna they're gonna be doing the Looney Tunes again they're gonna be revamping the Looney Tunes, and you know i was like come on i'm i'm at warner brothers i need to be involved with this project somehow i, I just cannot let my life go by and this not participate in some way i don't care if you you let me sleep the floor I'll, i i need to be involved <laughs> But um, as it as it happened, I I also do sheet timing on the side, uh, you know, whenever I can. And they needed someone to time out the tests that were going out to the studios. So that's sort of how I kind of stumbled into the show. They just they were like, "Hey, can you help us out? You know, setting up these sheets for uh, for all the tests." And I was like, "Of course I can." And then uh, you know, it just eventually led to an animation supervisor position and. Uh, that, and that was it. You know, I just, uh, I've, I've been on it for ever since, which is, you know, I never want to leave. I'm going to try to just stay here forever. I'll be that guy from uh, office space. I hope you never leave. And I hope the series never ends, uh, <laughs> exactly. from a fan perspective, uh, for those out there that don't know what sheet timing is, could you explain that a little bit? Sure. It's a uh, sort of like, you know, uh, back in the thirties and forties and fifties, you know, uh, everything was done in house. Everybody was, you know, basically in one space. But you know, ever since uh, television animation has changed over the years, and so we ship animation out to different studios, whether it be in Korea, the Philippines, or you know, India. There's some great studios even in Nepal. Like there's just studios everywhere. But uh, we need to communicate with them, and we need to let them know what we're looking for in the animation. Because if you don't time it out, 
you don't really know exactly what you're going to get. So it's basically like a way of just everyone being on the same page. So it's just these long giant sheets where, you know, animation directors will literally write out every frame of like, you know, so-and-so frame arm lift here, you know, just, we chart out the whole thing and uh, that gets sent with the, uh, you know, the designs and the animatics and all that stuff, it gets sent to the overseas studios. And then um, when it comes back, we, we uh, check it and see if hopefully we all lined up. <laughs> so that's nice. Uh, it's, it's fun, but it's a totally different aspect of your brain. Like it's a, yeah. it's a nice thing to do. Cause it's like, you know, animating in your mind is my, uh, my mentor, Kimson Albert would put it. He's just, you're animating in your mind. And it's, it's, if you look at it that way, it's a lot of fun. And it's also can drive you crazy sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uses like an analytical part of your brain instead of the yeah, creative. Because you're like you're just trying to hone in on how the character is posed for every frame. And yeah, I mean that's that's super fascinating, and that's an aspect of animation you don't really hear a lot about. I know, and you know, it's funny. Um, they're always in need of sheet timers. It's sort of like a I don't want to say a lost art, but it's a uh, you know with different technologies coming in and out. Um, you know, sometimes. Uh, we, you know, we're on a shortage of artists who know how to do it or, you know, people who are willing to do it. And, um, yeah, they always need sheet timers. Uh, hopefully, uh, for my sake, hopefully that's never going away, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really a great art and it's, um, it's so cool to just, you know, have a vision in your mind and then an artist, however many miles away, uh, sees that you guys connect on the same level, like, oh yeah, this is what we should do. And then when they get it and it's like, everyone was on the same page, it's like magic. It's so cool. Oh, wow. Like, like real movie magic coming together and yes. like that spark of joy you get. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, awesome. I mean, maybe it's not similar, but in, in my mind it's similar. Uh, you know, back in the day when a director of photography would shoot a movie, um, no one else really knew it's just going to work out. It's the lighting. It's everything in focus. Like, and the director of photography was like this master of ceremonies. And he's like, Oh no, it's going to be beautiful. Don't worry about it. And, and then the footage would come back after a certain time. And if he did his job, right. Boom. He got exactly what you wanted. It's like, it's like you said, it's like magic. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. Another one you worked on is Venture Brothers, and that show is wild. First of all, absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> But the the way the characters are drawn, there's such unique designs and poses. What was what was that process like? Super intimidating and humbling. It was. Um, I mean, that show it, it just has such um, such a depth to it and such a like a history involved in the show that you know it was when I came in. I believe I came in on the sixth season, and wow. it was. Um, it was definitely intimidating, but it was a lot of fun too. And I was getting to work with my friends back in New York. Like uh, they needed animation directors to do sheet timing for it. So um, that was probably a great entryway for me to work on the show. And yeah. of course I got some really complicated sequences, but uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and like, you know, always a challenge. Venture Brothers is always a challenge. There's, there's nothing easy about that show. It's, it's a, it's a beast. I always prefer having really difficult tasks at the forefront of something. So that way I can like dive in deep, you know, and uh, really grow as an artist. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> commend them for doing that. Cause it probably made you a better, uh, you know, all around artist and animator. Absolutely. And, and even for audiences, you know, like we, 
we want we want to you know if it's going to be engaging we really want to be pushing ourselves as much we, nobody wants to be like sitting back on their laurels so uh you know the team over there the writers and directors they they certainly push it to the limit like and and we all benefit you know from it absolutely but uh yeah i think that might have been my last project that uh tim mouse in new york was uh sheet timing okay Riders. Which was cool. Which was, I mean, talk about multiple characters on screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a, it was the casino Gargantua 2 uh, in space. And like I had to do a casino scene and it was just like, like a, I don't know how many characters on the screen. <laughs> and you get this much space on an X sheet. So it was just like, that was a little, a uh, little, I learned how to write very small. <laughs> that was a challenge for sure. Sounds like it. Wall-to-wall characters. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. And uh, those characters are larger than life, for sure. Uh, you oh, have, yeah. like, you know, all ranges of body types. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. They're just, like, but it's just such a cool design. I mean, there's yeah. so many times um, that I've worked around Stephen DiStefano, who's, who's a designer on our show. Uh, just, he's another genius. And it's just, like, watching the you know the work come out and then the work come in it's just like oh my god what am i doing here the the, uh, the level <laughs> of uh, imposter syndrome with each project is just getting more and more intense it's just it's incredible you're not an imposter at all you're, <laughs> you're incredible yourself Thanks, um <laughs> so uh i wanted to touch on this i'm not sure how much involvement you had on this uh birds of prey the Harley Birds Quinn movie has yes. an animatic, uh, animated opening uh, that shows the origin of Harley Quinn. Um, that is a phenomenal piece of animation. Uh, what what was your role there, and how long were you on that? That's right. Yeah, I uh, we um, I was on Looney Tunes at the time. We were maybe a year in or something, and uh, this this little sequence was brought to the studio to uh, flesh out. And um, my the showrunner from Teen Titans Go, P. Mike, P. Michael, he um, he was in charge of directing that sequence, and he, you know, you know, nicely asked. He's like, "Hey, man, would you be willing to help us out a little bit?" And I was like, "Absolutely, dude! Like, whatever I can do." You know, uh, I never thought, you know, going to school at the time that I went to school that I would ever get to be involved with two uh, D animation in a feature in any capacity, and. Luckily, I got to participate in the uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies film that ended up being in theaters, which was amazing. And then, so for a second time, I'm getting to participate in a feature film with 2D animation. I couldn't believe it. So I was like, I will do whatever you want. I, I just want to be involved somehow. <laughs> so I got to do a couple of shots for that sequence, which was it was a real treat. Nice. Um, that is Harley Quinn being raised and then finding love in the Joker. And that's never a good thing. <laughs> yeah. What could go wrong? Uh, yeah. What could go wrong? And we've actually reviewed the movie uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, we liked it. And also there's a relationship between Harley and Tweety because uh, Harley Quinn was born within the world of Batman, uh, the animated series. And they loved putting Looney Tune gags in that show um obviously paul dini coming from the world of tiny tunes uh made made a lot of sense so when there's a harley quinn movie you can bet your dollar that there's going to be a looney tunes reference and there was so always making the (laughs) tie-ins always got to get the tie-ins that synergy that glorious synergy synergy. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Listeners, if you haven't gone back and watched that, I highly recommend it. It is really a a really strong piece of work. And you also, uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies, I want to touch on that real quick. That was a really fun experience uh, for me because I sat around some really enthusiastic kids and they were super into it. And I, I was also into it, but you know, just the look on their faces and, you know, uh, Batman's Batmobile getting a movie before Robin and just like the whole, you know, the premise of the movie is really fun. And I'm yeah. glad that somebody thought of this. <laughs> I, they, you know, it was only a matter of time, right? It was just like a natural evolution. And we were so proud of that film. Like, everyone works so hard to get it out the get it out the door and you know for a long time i didn't know if it was going to work out i mean we did our best and uh, i think it really showed like it was just we had so much fun doing it and i think that's when you see it in the film like you can feel that that you know fun and love for it yeah you definitely can and also it has a really great soundtrack i go back to that soundtrack oh yeah like, absolutely you know, <laughs> once a month i think yeah and i got i mean I could die a happy man. I got to do a voice in a feature film and my little one, my little, you know, claim to fame or whatever is my last name is Capabianca. And uh, C came right before Capabianca came right before Nicolas Cage. So my name is literally right above Nicolas Cage in the credits and I can die happy. I was like, oh my God, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. My, my name next to Nicolas Cage. It's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> it's all it's all downhill after this. Phenomenal. That's, that's one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. And Yeah, just like pinch me moment. Exactly. I'm like, what is going on? What am I doing here? Uh, kudos to that. That's amazing. And again, if you haven't seen Teen Titans Go to the Movies, what are you doing? You should definitely be checking these out. And check it out. One other thing that you were you were a part of that doesn't get a lot of praise and it should are the Tom and Jerry shorts. There are two of them that came out right around the time of the movie's release, the latest Tom and Jerry movie. And they're mm. called Honor Roll and The House That Cat Built. And I believe you were a supervising director on these. Am I wrong? That's right. Yeah, we we were I guess maybe like a year and a half into the Looney Tunes and we got to do these, you know, two shorts. And like, I feel like everybody was just like getting up on all cylinders. Like we were getting really, uh, you know, strong in our, in the, in our production. And it was just like an amazing, you know, I couldn't believe for one that I was working with the Looney Tunes characters. And then this opportunity comes along like, what of course like this is going to be amazing yeah and just the design the the art direction it was it was just so beautiful so for me i was like you know, so many times on the show i have to literally just disconnect myself from what i'm doing or else i'd start freaking out like if you think oh my goodness i'm drawing bugs bunny then i'm gonna lose my mind i'm like oh my god too much pressure <laughs> but um really had to pull that in for tom and jerry because i was like oh my this is like, this is crazy. I can't believe we're doing this. And I really, I really think it, it came out so great. Like, uh, it did. so proud of what we did. Like it was more, I want more. <laughs> Hashtag more, more Tom and Jerry starting it now. Hashtag more Tom and yeah, Jerry getting okay. it trending. I'm going to be doing that. Yeah. I, I loved the lush backgrounds as was a tradition in Looney Tunes cartoons and, and a staple for that series. And then also the character designs, which I'm guessing and assuming Jim Soper had something to do with because he is phenomenal 
when he is yeah there. nobody draws him like jim he brings out such of the the best aspects of these characters from their retro designs and pulls them into modern it's amazing to see completely yeah it's it's like i've been going to the school of jim soper now for the past like four years and like i'm still getting c minuses but like one day one day i'll get it i'll get an a in his class but yeah like i just it's just so amazing like with how the internet has changed you know the landscape of like you know what a crew can be especially during these times and like you know i i I'm I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't familiar with Jim's work until we started working on the show and just, you know, his, his artwork, the way the influence that he's had has changed me as an artist, like for forever. And I, I owe him so much. It's just like, it's just such a pleasure to just get to see his work and just be involved with it. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. Yeah, I bet. And it's beautiful to look at. So, you know, yeah, keep doing what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. All right. So let's dive headfirst into Looney Tunes cartoons. You are uh, animation director and supervisor on this show. You are working with top tier talent, Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, Tweety, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig. And two of those characters are getting a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What, what is it about these characters that have lasted the test of time and are, endlessly watchable and always funny well i feel like um like for the it's i was talking to a friend and he was like you know oh i'm watching this with my kids now and it made him think about how he used to watch it with his father and then it hit him where he said and i'm sure my dad watched it with his dad and so it's just generational you know it's like it's so cool that you know these characters are so timeless they, they speak to any generation any time and, you know, I really, I really am thankful that I get to participate in something like that, something that's timeless and classic. Yeah. And, and for me personally, like one thing I've been learning about myself in general is just, uh, and now I see it in the Looney Tunes, which is interesting. And I think this probably helps contribute to it being classic is like, whenever I try to force something in my, in my life, it usually like blows up in my face. If I'm trying too hard, I just want to force my will on something, whether it's animating a scene or trying to put together a piece of Ikea furniture. If I'm just like, just trying to force it, it usually just ends up blowing up in my face. But if I learn to just, you know, relax and just take life as it comes and, you know, not try to impose my will onto something, usually that benefits me and, you know, helps me get whatever I'm trying to do accomplished, like just calming down and keeping my cool, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. And it's funny, you see that in the characters, like any character that's trying to impose their will on another, that usually blows up in their face. It never works out for them. And it's like, you know, Bugs Bunny, Tweety, these characters who just take life as it is, they don't try to make it what they want it to be. They just accept it for what it is and take, people and characters and situations as they come usually end up benefiting in the long run. I'm like, I think subconsciously, I don't know if I'm thinking about it too much, but subconsciously I think it's like, Oh, that's a, that's the way I should be approaching my life rather than, you know, letting my inner Yosemite just, oh, that rat! you know, just like you just get letting that, uh, that, uh, that boil over and, you know, lose my, lose my ish. But no, yeah, absolutely. I just, it's I, 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 yeah, it's just I think it helps only contribute to how classic it is and what it means to me. It's just 
definitely good life lessons from rabbits and ducks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we could all learn something from that and, you know, getting ourselves out of our own way, you know, like yes. just sometimes that's what's stopping us from doing something like we're in we're in our heads too much or we're 100 you know, percent. Yeah, that's a that's beautiful. I'm mm-hmm. really glad that uh, that that's how it speaks to you. And that you're a part of it. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm luckiest guy ever. So I, I'm always like, how did I get here? I don't know, but I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> so Looney Tunes cartoons launched during the global pandemic and it was, you know, scheduled on, you know, the calendar and we were counting down for three years for this show to launch. And then it, it launches March, 2020. Crazy. What was it like launching a new series during a, a pandemic and like, the whole Skype conversations or I guess zoom conversations that we adapted. It's I, you know, I feel so, um, I feel so lucky that for a while, like you said, we were already in production for at least like a year and a half or so a year and a half, two years ballpark before the pandemic hit. So we were all, you know, in studio working together, uh, you know, getting that, that great in studio experience and then we shifted over to online um, remote work. So for someone who starts a project now and, and doesn't physically get to meet their crew, that's got to be such a an awkward, you know, feeling. So we at least had that familiarity with ourselves, and uh, so I think transitioning was, you know, fairly, you know, not as daunting. But, you know, I couldn't imagine for a crew that like if you were starting a show right now and it was all remote, that's got to be tough. But my hat's off to, you know, people who have had to, you know, go through those experiences. But we've been really lucky that we had that time beforehand to all get like really tight as a crew. And then we all just transitioned over. But, yeah, so we were working in the studio for at least like a year and a half to two years. And we were all like loving it, having the greatest time ever. But feeling like when is the world going to see this? Like we're just making these things and we can't wait for the world to see them. And then for it to get released while we were all remote and working from home was like, you know, interesting. It was definitely different, but you know, I'm just glad that they're finally out. There was that time where I'm like, when are they going to get out? And now they're finally out. So, and it seems like people are really responding and enjoying them. So uh, that's, you know, I couldn't be happier about that. That's, that's great. Well, it's been nominated for a Kids' Choice Awards, so (laughs) (laughs) someone's paying attention. But but yeah, uh, I'm so glad they're out too. And you know, as soon as it was announced, I was and they had an image. I think it was the Soper design of Bugs Bunny was the first one that went up, and I was just like, "When is this happening? I need to be there. I need to watch this. I need it in my eyeballs." And I'm so glad that you know there there was such a strong camaraderie and and workman uh mentality together uh in in studio before this all happened that's that's great to hear yeah it, that's all a testament to pete Browngard and alex kerwan and, and just the what they decided early on was important to them like uh just like for small example like pete always wanted there to be uh this element of camaraderie and, and we're all doing this together and so he he sort of instituted this thing where when the boards were getting ready to, to be shipped, he would have the board artists pitch their own individual boards to the entire crew. So he would get everyone together in the conference room and we would all uh, watch uh, one of our many insanely talented board artists pitch their latest uh, short. 
and they would be acting it out, doing all their sound effects, and they would just be having fun performing this thing that they work so hard on. And, you know, they would get a temperature read in the room. Oh, this joke is landing. This is great. Like, you know, and we were all just dying laughing because like some of those, those guys are Looney Tunes themselves. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was just like, you know, I never had an experience like that. And it was just so, it was just so cool to, you know, be a part of that crew. It was like, it was an honor. It was really cool. And I think, wow. uh, you know, once again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I feel like it, it just continuously shows itself in the work. To be a fly on that wall. You know, like yep. to, to hear <laughs> all those pieces. Oh man, there's got to be recording somewhere. Someone's got something. I'm sure it'll find its way out there one day. <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Is there a difference in, in in sheet timing on Looney Tunes cartoons versus another project you worked on, like Steven Universe um, or Teen Titans Go? Or is it pretty much the same? Um, that's a great question. I'd say I try to approach them all in the same way. Like I want to give each project 110%. Um, and the only thing I would say is that um, I guess a show, for instance, like Steven Universe, everyone on that show, they were just like master board artists and comic artists. You know, they just were just master storytellers. So a lot of what was handed to me from the storyboards was very very fleshed out, very particular. And, you know, so much work is going on before I get something that I never want to start, you know, injecting too much of myself. It's like, it seems like this is pretty well thought out. So I just want to hit what they're looking for. Whereas maybe Looney Tunes, we can get really, really uh, particular about performance choices and like, you know, leaving a little bit more room up to spontaneity or, you know, um, you know, getting a little bit wild with overshooting and, you know, antics and smears, you know, that's uh, the one thing I've been, oh, that's my beautiful daughter yelling in the background. I don't know if everybody can hear that. <laughs> Love you, Ella. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like with, with uh, Looney Tunes, for instance, we really want to get into those like awesome smears, you know, really getting dry brush effects in there from, you know, really getting that old authentic, authentic feel to how they used to make those cartoons. So really taking advantage of like, you know, hard overshoots and smear drawings and just having a lot of fun with uh, timing. And it's, um, so I guess in the most long-winded way, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> both treated the same, but just, I guess, different beasts, different animals, but it's, uh, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge to keep it, you know, have those separate languages, but also, you know, each having, you know, the same standard of quality. Yeah. Speaking of the old way to do it. So technology has obviously advanced over the last 80 years. Uh, so you're animating Marvin the Martian and Elmer Fudd and like those two have different walk cycles. Obviously, Marvin has like a little scurry yeah. and you don't really see his feet at all when he moves. Yeah. And Elmer has the slow, methodic, you know, hunting, like slow hunter. Um, what, I guess, what was adapted from the classics and what had to be completely reinnovated by today's technology to bring these characters to life? Well, I guess, I don't know if we were, you know, trying to reinvent anything too much as much as really kind of, um, adhere to what the design department was really laying down, which is like, you know, volumetric drawing, really trying to make sure that we're keeping 
uh, the characters dimensional and volumetric and, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, one thing that, you know, they always talk about, you know, Wiley Coyote or something, uh, Roadrunner, the posing in those shorts, all the humor is in those held poses. And it's just like strong dynamic drawing, like, you know, really focusing on that and hitting yeah. those poses well is really more so than like, you know, adhering to any strict, you know, uh, timing of animation. Cause we, we can go, you know, depending on what joke you're going for, you could do any sort of timing um, that you'd like, but really I think it was mostly about strong posing and strong st storytelling composition that really uh, kind of was the mandate from the top. And those Wiley shorts, those have a really great sense of depth to them that the other ones Absolutely. I feel uh, they don't necessarily have, but they don't need. Uh, Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner are in the desert and you really need a good sense of depth and, and you know, distance. Yes. And I love the way that uh, I want to say David Gimmel does that work. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's just such a strong uh, sense of design and, and composition. Like, like you were saying, you know, just that, that vastness of, of, of the desert. You know, yeah. it could be a joke in itself. He, this guy's all alone. He's just trying to get a meal. You know, like that can really be such a strong storytelling element if you use it properly. Totally. One aspect that you helped out on was there's a scene in Pirates Progress um, or Pirates Poiwes, um <laughs> where oh, uh, Bud, uh, Pil Pilgrims Pogwes. Pilgrims. <laughs> there we go. Pilgrims. Uh, <laughs> where Elmer is using an axe and. He's, yes, yeah. he's trying to get some direction on how to uh, bring food back onto, I guess, the ship or, you know, just as they landed at Plymouth Rock. And uh, he swings an axe a certain way that you elevated. I, yeah, I watched well, it last night and it had me laughing. Just like just the animation uh, of him thanks, trying to hold this, hold this axe. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, you know, that was... Uh... So my position is dealing a lot with the X sheets, you know, on the front end going out uh, to the studios. And then on the back end, when the animation comes back, I deal with, uh, you know, doing retake animation and then internal animation, like heading up our amazing internal department who basically saves the day all the time. Artists like Hal Newman and uh, Brienne Van Tool, like they are the, you know, unsung heroes. They're totally we're, you know, grinding away on the back end, trying to help uh, make these shorts as good as possible. But uh, that was a good example of just a scene that just never really worked out. And it's, it happens, you know, sometimes it just, uh, things fall through the cracks or they just never really got the intention of the board. You know, it's just, it's normal. But, um, but that scene in particular, I was like, you know what, I really want to, you know, take a stab at making this like a little bit more special. And, um, you know, so I, I was able to get in there and animate it myself, which uh, was fun, but also had to do it like twice as fast. So it was, you know, <laughs> fast and furious trying to get it done. But yeah, it was a lot of fun to just, you know, kind of make a meal out of something that maybe could have been uh, handled simply, but, you know, just having some fun with it. Like uh, the, the pilgrim chief guy hands him this giant axe. I'm like, oh, maybe this axe is really heavy. And like, what if he almost smacks himself in the face with it? And just like having fun with Elmer stumbling around was uh, was just a lot of fun to just get to play with it, which is cool. It translates, man. It's great. Thanks, dude. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like, uh, you know, again, one of those moments where I was like, 
just working. Uh, don't think about it too much. Don't think about what you're doing. Cause if you, if you think about it too much, you might get locked up in your own mind, you know, Oh my goodness, I'm animating Elmer Fudd. This is a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> like I have to constantly just like kind of let my mind go blank and just, just focus on the work. Cause if I, I think about it too much, I'll, I'll get, get freaked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing great. And uh, the comedy is such a unique part of this franchise. They really go for it and go for the gags what is it in the the timing that is so important for comedy to work? And is, does music part of pl- play a part in that process or is music completely absent until later on? That's a great question. I think all three of our directors, along with, you know, Pete and Alex and Aaron, um, everyone has such a music sensibility to them. So, uh, I think music is, you know, such an important part of the show. And, and, you know, our composers that we have, Josh and Carl, are just, you know, unbelievable at, you know, really bringing home that like authentic, classic, you know, scored uh, feel to the shorts. Yeah. Um, we, our process, though, you know, for the shorts right now has been, you know, we'll be working a little bit more on the front end with, uh, well, you know, actually Dynamite Dance is a perfect example of using, you know, they had a piece of music that they wanted to do. And later on, we were able to rescore it, uh, you know, but that was like, you know, we had something classic that we wanted to do and we were able to board to that. And uh, okay. David cool. Gimmel, you know, single-handedly just made that such an incredible little piece. I thought that was such a great way to just introduce the cartoons back to the world. You know, that was just such a, a punch in the face. It was so so classic to me that was like oh that's the way you kick it off totally it was fantastic yeah just like yep this i was like this guy knows what he's doing (laughs) no dialogue just the characters running after each other oh man and such beautiful backgrounds and the character designs were on point and Mm -hmm. you know to the beat of the music like oh so good so cool and that one was animated by a studio tonic dna and they were just like you know masters like so so good every time i get we know that we're having something come from them i just like i can't wait i just can't wait it's like a treat for me it's just uh it's just unbelievable talents up there in uh montreal what is it about animating these characters that's so special and i guess on paper uh what what sets them apart from other characters from other characters that you've worked on or just like in the franchise itself so like what's the difference between marvin the martian and elmer fudd on paper Well, I think early on they wanted to establish a sense of uh, volume to the characters. Like in in our version of this, we really wanted to get back to basics and really focus on, you know, uh, strong composition, strong posing, but also, you know, making sure that the characters were, they felt solid and that uh, there was dimension to them and that, we were always trying to like do our best to, cause you know, we're following in the footsteps of masters. So <laughs> if we're going to go in this direction, we want to just do the best we can with like really getting each pose, every idea, you know, bottled down to its most like core uh, design and pose. So like, you know, I really, it's part one of the scariest things for me. It's been, you know, however many years now, and I still feel like I cannot draw these characters. They're so, difficult to, to draw but um but yeah i think that's really been the the main focus for me at least and i know it was in the beginning we really wanted to like hold ourselves to a high standard 
and you know with designers like you know as we spoke about before steven stefano dan haskett uh jim sobert like the the drawings that were coming out of those guys were just unbelievable so it's like every step of the way we wanted to just get as much as we could out of each drawing and uh really keep that quality level high yeah and specifically uh jim soper's designs which i'm seeing him post on instagram all the time like they really harken back to what bob clampett was doing what chuck jones was doing like at the beginning of their careers and bringing that to the forefront of this show really shows the attention to detail, uh, but also the, just the way that Marvin walks. Like Marvin the Martian has always had a distinct walk. And when I see him walk in the new shorts, it's like, yes, that is that is true to his footsteps and how like they scurry along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah him just... and the, the evil scientist with Gossamer, they both have that yeah. little four frame little... Uh, you know, smeared walk cycle. No, absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Frankenbeans has a similar uh, walk cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I love that you said that you have this, I guess, fear of getting it wrong, but there's also like a humbleness to that. That means that it's in the right hands because you don't want to mess it up and you have that much care for these characters and how they're supposed to be presented to an audience different phases of the properties come and go. Like we've seen a lot of different Scooby-Doo's and, and Looney Tunes, it's like, this yeah. is, uh, you know, a moment in time. But while I'm here, uh, someone will do it, you know, 10 times better than me one day, you know, like it'll, it'll move on beyond like our crew. But like for the time being, it's like, this is like where I want it to be. And I just need to give it like 110%. Because I mean, that's the other thing too, just being surrounded by the crew that Pete and Alex were able to assemble for these is just such high caliber. It's like it, like every day going in, everyone was so excited to see. I mean, I remember um, one of the board artists, Mike Rocco, another you know huge voice in this show. Yeah. Me and him, he would come into my office some days, and we would just have hour long conversations about animation and art. And it's just like everyone in the crew just could not wait to come in and get together and just make this thing. And it, it really just, I think, it elevated everybody. You know, absolutely day. and it yeah. shows in the show absolutely i think so for sure so an aspect of this that i'm always curious about is the classics were made in a time of hand-drawn animation and like so much work and you know the things took nine months to turn around um you guys aren't taking nine months per short <laughs> because of today's technology and what you're able to do with that um but what was able to be i guess uh brought over from the classics into the new shorts or what had to be completely re-innovative uh, re uh, by today's technology uh, to bring these characters to life? Well, I mean, I guess the process of, you know, television or I don't know what TV is nowadays with streaming, but the process of television animation obviously had changed with, you know, X sheets and shipping animation overseas. Whereas back in those days, Everyone was in a single building making the same thing together, yeah. which, you know, I'm sure was a magical time, but <laughs> there it's, it's really challenging, but it's also a lot of fun. Um, one thing that I really loved um, that Pete decided early on that he really wanted, he wanted his board artists to pitch their boards 
to the whole crew. So there, whenever it was time for you know episodes to be done, ready, ready to go, when the board artists were delivering, uh, they would get the whole crew together, and we would all watch, you know, board artists pitch, sometimes perform their boards. And they would really get a good sense of like, are these jokes landing? Is has this uh, timing feeling like? And it was just great camaraderie too, you know, just having everyone get together, have a laugh, uh, you know, put your pencil down for a little bit and go enjoy uh, someone perform their latest short. And I love that aspect of it. And um, let me interject and just say that there are some really strong comedic geniuses over there, especially on the boarding team, because oh my God, yeah. these these shorts have some really disturbing, but also hilarious comedy in, injected <laughs> into them. And if you're saying all of these pitches are coming just from the storyboard artists, like that's saying a lot from just the artists behind the, the story, like the characters and like the, the devotion to these um these stories that they want to tell with these characters. And from what I've seen from this show so far, it has spoken to, you know, what was started back in the forties and like the, the legacy continues. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's also missing the fact that there were heavy days. of. I wasn't personally involved with it just because I was more of a just sequestered worrying about animation stuff in the beginning. I, I didn't really get involved with writing stuff, but with, that was really wasn't my department. But okay. there were heavy writing sessions with the writers, uh, Johnny Ryan and Jake Fleischer, who, funny story, my first day, they set me up in an office with uh, one of the writers on the show, Jake Fleischer, who, if you can imagine a writer for the Looney Tunes, he was, he is the best. He's hilarious. But I remember just walking in my first day and like, okay, you're going to be sitting with Jake. And I was like, oh my goodness, this guy, of course, this guy's a writer for the Lanterns. He is a living cartoon. He was hysterical. And there was a lot of work done uh, in the writer's room with Pete and the directors and the, and the writers. Like, And then, you know, of course, with the storyboard artists, like it just, what they came up with for me, you know, I enjoy animatics on their own. So I was like, you can put that on TV. I watched that. Like, <laughs> it was great. Oh, wow. That's, you know, that's a whole dynamic. I haven't even thought of. So like the, these writers came in and like gave a bunch of story ideas and then the storyboard artists just brought those to life. Is that, is that how it worked? Uh, from what I saw, it was just a completely collaborative, the storyboard artists and the writers and the directors, they're all in the room wow. writing together. So I could imagine, and then you walk in after one of those meetings and you see all these hilarious doodles on a whiteboard and it's like, I don't know what the heck they were talking about in here, but something's going on. (laughs) That's great. I'm sure those were pretty wild meetings. They were, uh, and it shows in the work. It was hysterical. Yeah. Obviously this whole team is bringing their A game to it. And there's obviously top tier talent behind the comedy. These shorts have such a like they bring the scope in and we really concentrate on usually two characters at a time to see like how they're interacting and those interactions really have depth to them and they play off in these really comedic ways that um they they leave you with such a feeling of like i don't know what i just watched but yeah like that that was the characters and like that's how they would react in that situation i'm i'm thinking specifically of mummy dummy um i don't know if you can speak to individual shorts by themselves uh but mummy dummy is this really crazy taking bugs on that whole 
I'm going to go traveling and go to Vegas uh, scenario. And he winds yeah. up in ancient Egypt and he's, you know, dealing with confronting a, a, a monster essentially brought to life and he gets mangled and like, like really like taken against the ropes. Uh, um, that, that whole sequence. I'm like, I don't know how this is ever going to be shown this. I was like, even for me, I, I worked on a uh, super jail. And then when yeah. I was watching that sequence, I was like, Whoa, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to make it, but it did. But yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. I, so one of the things I just covered on the podcast last episode was uh, the many deaths of Bugs Bunny. And that was a highlight because <laughs> it looked like he was a goner. And yet he comes back. And I love that they stayed true to the character because after Bugs Bunny is dead in a short, he always goes after the antagonist's butt in some way. And sure enough, after he comes back to life, he starts whipping the butt of the, the mummy with his own wrappings. And they did um, not disappoint, yeah. <laughs> um, so again, the attention to detail, the, the comedy writing, I think there's a really great uh, team in place for this. Could you see this going on for a few years or like... Like, oh God, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I, I, I honestly, um, I could do this forever. It, it's a dream come true job, but uh, you know, I'm sure they have their plans. But I could certainly, I could certainly do it forever. I wish, uh, I wish someone would let me. <laughs> you know? I hope they let you. Um, well, that's what I mean. I know, you know, it's you know, it's been announced that the movie is happening and. Like that, I'm super excited for because, you know, it's a, a feature. So that is, you know, taking what we've established and going in a to a different format. Like, what is that going to be like? I'm not, I'm not sure. I have no involvement in that. But uh, I'm, I'm just curious what are they going to do with that? You know, that's going to be an interesting, an, an interesting exploration of the characters and what, where they can go. Yeah, uh, you're referring to the feature that we had. A little bit of information drop on. So it's Daffy and Porky against possibly an alien invasion. We're not quite sure what's going on there, but the yeah, sure. the still that has been released is them delivering newspapers. And, you know, any situation Innocent with Daffy enough, and Porky yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of Daffy, he gets into some really wild antics in this show. Um, what is the craziest or wildest idea that has ever been presented to you for this character? Well, I was actually thinking of it when we were talking about just uh, like how wild this show is for me. I, I actually just watched it earlier. Uh, Practical jerk. Oh yeah. I, that one. I'm just like, how did we get away with this? Like it, it just keeps going and going and going. And we're just like, and now we're in a graveyard. I'm like, how did we get here? <laughs> to me, that is, that was like the, like Kenny Pittenger, he's he's a I love him. he's so funny and I just I can't believe he always will will push the envelope for sure <laughs> and that one for me is my favorite. It's just like oh that was nuts. <laughs> it's so nuts. It 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 does the tension thing where it's like it blows up the balloon and like there's so much tension of like what have you done? <laughs> and then it lets it out in a really fun way uh, for people that haven't seen it yet. Um, this is Practical Jerk on uh, HBO Max. It's available now. Uh, Daffy and Porky have a April Fool's off, uh, but it's mainly Daffy going against Porky and just setting him off with prank after prank until 
he kills Porky. He kills Porky Pig. And then years pass, decades, and Daffy just keeps returning to Porky's grave going, I don't understand how this happened. So, so bleak. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then Porky jumps up out of the grave and is like, April Fool's gotcha. (laughs) It is wild. So yes, that, that is clearly a, uh, a really great example of what this show has to offer. <laughs> you can enjoy all that graveyard humor right here. <laughs> <laughs> I love the gallows humor though. That's always been a part of Looney Tunes. Like if you go back to the originals, there's all of these jokes um, around really morose topics, but they present them in a way that is palpable to an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the classics were not intended for just kids. They were, it's supposed to be uh, interstitials before you watch a movie, a feature length pr- uh, production from Warner Brothers. And they just became this, you know, uh, kid centered uh, in a marketing sense uh, thing. But, you know, you're taking it back to what it used to be. Was this Pete Brownguard's vision or did that come out organically of like working with these characters? Cause they went back and saw what was done before. I, I, I would be guessing at this point, but I would guessing in guessing, I would say that that's probably his, uh, his wanting to pay reverence to what would have been established beforehand. And like, yeah, they, they wanted to stay true to the characters and, you know, uh, you don't have to talk down to it. You know, they can keep up, they can handle it. As long as you, you finally, like you said, if you let the air out of that balloon, like you'll be okay. Yeah. And uh, and I think, you know, at the time when these were initially started, uh, we didn't necessarily know where they were going to go. So I think that also kind of gave a little bit more freedom than normally to sort of just, Hey, you know, let's, let's go for this. Let's see what happens. And then, you know, it just happened that, you know, Kismet ended up on HBO max and the rest is history. But uh, yeah, I think for sure. I think that was definitely in the, uh, in the sauce to begin with. What is your relationship with uh, Pete Browngard on the production? Is it do you report to him every day, or is it like a, a more looser thing? Yeah, well, now um, I'm uh, actually supervising directing on the show, which I've been doing for I guess maybe three weeks now, three or four weeks, and oh, cool. uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting to participate in. When I was animation director, I was my hundred percent, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. I was like focused on just the animation and now I'm just kind of getting a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of what all the directors have been doing this whole time, which is, you know, amazing. One thing I never got to do was interact with any of the actors being there for the records or the the mixes or anything. So I'm getting to do a lot of that stuff now, which is really fun and just like so informative. I, you know, the amount of stuff that, someone like a Pete Brown guard has to do in a day. I, I don't understand how he does it. And, um, and he, <laughs> yeah. but he's been so helpful with me, you know, like, you know, getting me up to speed on, uh, and keeping, and keeping up with all this. So yeah, we kind of, you know, interact fairly, uh, fairly often, just kind of keeping track and making sure, you know, that even though we're on the latter half of things, like we, we want to keep the quality up and we really want to make all these shorts, uh, as special as they possibly can. So let's go back to Tweety. You said Tweety is one of your favorite characters. What has been your favorite Tweety short that you've worked on so far? Oh, this one's tough because 
uh, as cheesy as this is going to sound, it hasn't come out yet. But <laughs> oh, another tease. I know, yeah, <laughs> ultimate tease. But it's true. I swear it's true. There is um, a Tweety one coming out that is pretty spectacular, and I can't wait for everyone to see it. It's gonna. It's really going to knock people's socks off. It's 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 great. Wow, I can't wait. I can't but wait. But like now. my favorite, my favorite. Well, I'm such a fan. Like my sense of humor, my sensibilities is like. I was born and raised on Abbott and Costello. That's like my ultimate favorite thing in the whole world. It's like a, a glass of warm milk for me. So a tale of two kitties was my, my, my favorite one, just because they were, you know, the, their essence was involved in it. And I was just like, uh, you know, that's my, that's my jam for sure. That one. But. Yeah. And that's why we're, that's why we're celebrating the character this year. Cause that short came out in 1942. November twenty twenty first. It it's insane how much time has passed. So but crazy. This this character lives on in the reverence of people like you and people like me who just you know keep put putting them in the uh, in the zeitgeist and <laughs> bringing them back and talking about them and you know our our love will never die for Tweety. So absolutely. You know, where can people find you online? Online, I, I'm I'm terrible at social media. I know I'm so inconsistent. I need to consistently post more stuff. But on on Instagram, I'm I'm just Joe Caps, all one word, uh, on Instagram. And then Twitter, I'm at Joe Cartoon Guy. I think uh, yes, <laughs> yes. I think that's it. I, I apologize if that's wrong, but um, yeah, those are the two spots where I mainly post stuff, and I'll just I'll try to be better about getting more stuff out there. But uh, yeah. you've already posted such phenomenal work with drawings of Yosemite Sam, Bugs Bunny. Like, what else do you need? <laughs> yeah, I just gotta just gotta keep getting better. Hold myself to high standards. I want to hopefully I'll never stop learning. You know, the, the day I stop learning that it's not fun, but um, that's the goal. That's the yeah, goal. Absolutely. Uh, but, but we do need a Daffy. We need a Daffy from you. All right. I'll get it out there. I'm sure uh, I, I could use some more Daffy time. I need, I need to work on my Daffy's. <laughs> <laughs> That wild and crazy mallard. And you guys can follow the podcast on social media is at This Means Podcast or on Twitter at This Means Pod. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and just spread the love of Looney Tunes. And if you haven't watched the new shorts, hop on over to HBO Max and give them a try. And, you know, comment with your favorite Looney Tunes shorts featuring work by this guy on uh, Looney Tunes cartoons or even just Tweety shorts that you love and you want to celebrate Tweety with. and Keep it right here because we're going to have full on Tweety coverage all through the year and continue to check out Looney Tunes cartoons as they drop those new shorts. I've been your host, Jonathan Graves. And as always, that's not all, folks. Have a good day. Don't do it! Hey, Babbitt! Oh, Babbitt! Babbitt! What's the matter now? I'm afraid of the dark. Well, I'll let you out then. I thought I tore a putty tab. I did. I tore a putty tab. Shout out to everybody. <laughs> yeah, shout out to everybody. I, you know, I feel I always want to like you know praise others because it's just like yeah. It really is. It doesn't work without each one of them. You know, like if, if yeah. one of the these people was not involved, it's not what it is. Like they really were so important to it. Like to me, David Gimmel is another one. Like each one of the directors, Ryan, Ryan Kramer's 
Um, one of my favorites is uh, Siberian Sam. It was one of the earlier ones, and that's yeah. a Ryan Kramer one. And that to me was just like I think he worked with uh, Andy Gonzalez on that one as Yosemite Sam. So it was like the the two of them they just know that character so well. Like it was just like to me it was just perfect. Like it, you take out any one of these people and it just isn't it isn't the same. Like I just. Lightning in a bottle, I guess, with the in terms of timing. We're lucky to have them all. Yeah, I agree. 